CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I think we're done. The campaign, yeah. of course, is not done. <laughs> I think we're done. Oh, my God. Irvin, you're not done, okay? It's not over, all right? <laughs> all right, G. Hold on. Here comes a cough. Lay show. Still battling COVID. Still battling COVID, but yeah, muscling on. How about huh? studio audience? Where's the wait a minute? Did one of our distinguished listeners say, Yeah, no. Eric Zor. He's like, Studio audience thing sucks, man. I'm like, all right. Then I like got Dude, it, it got in my head. I'd be like sleeping. And I'd wake up in the middle of the night. Studio audience, what am I doing? Eric, I'm just going to say this to you. I don't know. You, I think Eric, the only show Eric listens to is the Friday show. So I may have to repeat this on Friday. Dude. You're turning into a grumpy old man. I'm just saying that, Eric Zorn, all right? You're like Mr. Wilson in the Dennis Menace comic strip. Okay? You remember that, D? I, yeah. It's Dennis the Menace, not Dennis Menace. Yeah. I'm letting you roll with it, man. You, you, you try talking with COVID. It's like every time Eric's weighing it up, then where was that show on Friday? He, I didn't tell you this, D. He said in this, like, where's that show? I'm very, oh, what a disappointment was his joke. And it's usually always over That's a week. That's great. He was disappointed. What, we're not working hard enough for you, Eric? Huh? You want us to work harder? Can you imagine if Eric, you're his waiter, and he's like, hey, <laughs> where's my coffee, huh? I'm Eric Zorn, all right? I got the picayune to put out, all right? Busy guy. And that was the day we lost Eric Zorn as a listener. <laughs> no, don't worry about it. He only listens on Friday, oh, so we can oh, say whatever we want oh, about okay. him on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Well, your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, May 31st, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J. O R A V is in victory. S K Y. And people, we've been talking about it for so long. We got to keep talking about it. It's coming up June 10th and the 11th. Oh, Ben, yeah, do the pot thing. Yeah. I keep telling Ben, dude, let's smoke weed and go to this thing, right? <laughs> and he's yeah. just like, oh, man, uh, the 70s. <laughs> It's like, all right, the seventies. I forgot. You love the seventies or whatever. But hey, I gotta remind everybody, all right, about this. It's gonna be a good event. It's NECAN, N-E-C-A-N-N. And did you know that Illinois has an average monthly revenue of over a hundred million dollars from recreational cannabis sales? As of 2022, Chicago hosts an impressive 44 cannabis dispensaries. The Windy City is the perfect place for the Illinois Cannabis Convention, June 10th through the 11th. It's brought to you by NECAN, and the convention will be the largest gathering of the existing local medical cannabis industry and those getting into the new adult-use recreational market. 
There's not a wing for people who used to smoke pot and want to just talk about it all the time, Ben, so I don't know if this works. Uh, the convention will showcase more than 100 companies, brands, and product lines. There's also four full programming tracks running each day for medical business, cultivation, and social justice, featuring dozens of expert speakers with practical knowledge and advice for attendees of all levels of experience. All are welcome. Go to NECAN.com slash Illinois, N-E-C-A-N-N dot com slash Illinois for information and to register. That is correct. It is Tuesday, May 31st, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, he's fired up and waiting for my Google Meet invite. It's Dave Glowatz. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hey, your mic's not working. You're you're on mute. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let me start again. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarowski here. We're calling this Endorsement Tuesday, and here's why. This Chicago Tribune finally weighed in with its much-anticipated, much-delayed endorsement in, in the Republican gubernatorial primary. I know, D, I speak for everybody out there when I say I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this moment. <laughs> Tribune, you are so freaking clueless. For reasons I will never understand, the editorial board of the Chicago Tribune remains dedicated to the Republican Party. You operate out of a city that's 85% Democrat. Nope. We're sticking with the Republicans. Okay. (laughs) You are dedicated to a party that has freaking lost its mind. Chicago Tribune, that Republican Party, which is not the Republican Party, Colonel McCormick, the guy who created the Tribune, who's supposedly legacy you're carrying on, who probably be turning over in his grave to see where we are as a people. That Republican Party, which is like, actually, Colonel McCormick came after, like the original, D, I know way too much about the origins of the Chicago. I probably know more about the origins of the Chicago Tribune than any of the people who work for the Tribune. You know, the D, in fact, I know this. I'm more generous to the Chicago Tribune. I love pointing this out. You tight wyatts at the Tribune. Have you ever given any money to the reader? Huh? Just saying. Have you? Yeah, I still subscribe to your rack. Why am I saying all this? They felt compelled. I was thinking, D, they would stay out of the Republican nominee. You know what I'm saying? I figured, you know, this party is insane. Dennis and I have de- dedicated, how many months would you say, D? Three months, four months, five months? to covering the uh, Republic. We have exhaustively gone through it. We know we're the only ones right now. I bet you fact, I'll bet you right now, if we give a test to the editorial board members of the Chicago Tribune, name quickly all the Republican candidates for governor, they would flunk that test, D, unless they looked at the editorial, <laughs> the cheat sheet. But we've exhaustively covered that race, and we have come to the conclusion, ladies and gentlemen, the Republican Party has lost its freaking mind. It's dedicated to the notion notion that the 2020 presidential election was stolen and that Donald Trump actually out got more votes than Joe Biden. But somehow or other, he stole the election. That's like the governing theory in Republican politics. 
no Republican, very few Republicans. In fact, I don't think there's a Republican now running for governor in the state of Illinois who come out and forcefully say what we all know is true, that Joe Biden got more votes than Donnie Trump. Not one. Because they're so afraid of the lunatic that control the party. They're afraid to speak the truth. It's as though one day all the Republicans in the state of Illinois woke up and said the sun rises in the West. And therefore, all the candidates running for their votes were like, yeah, we don't want to take a stand here. So we're just kind of going to go along with them. And everything they say is kind of an adjustment to that. Either they agree that the sun rises in the West or they say, I don't know. It's such a complicated question. Who knows? And what does that matter anyway with Illinois? We hate Pritzker. That's the Republican Party. And that's just one issue. That's it. I'm not even talking about climate change. I'm not even talking about COVID. I'm not even about the gun cult. You know, all the extreme positions the Republican Party has taken in the age of Donald Trump and anybody running for the Republican nomination. By the way, Dave Glowitz has joined us. And for reasons I don't know, he's got a picture of that sure looks to me like a Star Trek picture. D. I don't, you can't fool me. OK, that looks like I know William Shatner when I see him. And that's Spock. On the left, right. Uh, I don't know who the fella in the middle is. Because I didn't watch Star Trek. I'll be honest with you. I was like, Star Trek is boring. <laughs> I want to watch wrestling. Dave Glotz, on the other hand, was a huge Star Trek fan. Anyway, neither here nor there. So the Chicago Tribune, dedicated to those Republicans, even though they're insane, has decided to endorse a candidate. Which candidate will they endorse? As the only person in the world who reads Chicago Tribune's editorials. Hold on. Paul Schimpf, D, caught me off guard. <laughs> right on. P.S. <laughs> they endorsed the guy. Wait, no, it was, no, Schimpf. There was Raybine. Raybine, D, yes. Raybine. His correct pronunciation of his name is Raybine. All right, don't mess it up. Uh, Raybine was the one who uh, said when asked, did Trump uh, win the last election or did uh, Biden win? I don't, I don't know. These things are complicated. I think Shimp's uh, response was along the line of, oh, it doesn't really, it's not imperative to the state of Illinois to answer that question. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> what a profile in courage that is. Anyway, Republican Party has lost its mind. Uh, I would say that um, any vote for the Republican Party uh, at this point would be a vote for madness. And so the Tribune, you've really done a disservice. Uh to your readers everywhere by pretending as though like there's any integrity in this party right now, pretending as though that any of these candidates represent what like a, a moral choice. There's really like five Republicans in the country right now who will speak the obvious. One is uh, Dave Glowitz's uh, favorite uh, Congresswoman uh, Liz Cheney. Uh, Glowitz is a huge fan of the Cheney. <laughs> Just want to see if Dave Glowitz is listening back in the day uh, when we first met, we were both, Hardcore lefties. I'm still one. I think Mr. Glowatz may have moved to the center a little bit. Anyway, so that was the big news. Uh, I woke up uh, this morning in a COVID fog. Still have COVID, ladies and gentlemen. But then I saw that the Chicago Tribune endorsed Paul Schiff. And it just, I don't know, kind of made me feel better. You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, the pretense continues with the Chicago Tribune. Anyway, without further ado, I'm going to ask uh, my distinguished guest to step aboard. His name is Dave Glowitz. 
uh, inside Chicago government is his baby. And I will say this. The man knows more about the Chicago City Council than Ed Burke, Raymond Lopez, Byron Sixer Lopez, uh, Danny Solis, Anthony Beal, any of them. He's our expert, Chicago's expert in the Chicago City Council. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave Glowatz. Well, thanks for that compliment, Ben. I don't know if I know more, but I know different things than they do, I think. Yes, that's an interesting distinction. I'm going to run with it. I appreciate you. I, you know, I have been blessedly unafflicted, unlike many around me. (laughs) Like if I've had it, I don't know it. Because like, you know, if you don't have symptoms, like I test periodically, but man, you know. Well, don't know what don't know what it is. It's uh, raised in a Christian family. I don't. I'm not sure what the you know what to attribute it to. I don't know. You know, lots of uh, fluids. Uh, yeah, the only one who could ever reach me was the son of a preacher man. Anyway, what do you got for me today? Uh, <laughs> the uh, there's a reference to a song that uh, Dave Glowatz probably knows. Or this is the second pop reference I've made today. Uh, in today, today, you remember the first one, Dave? I do. And the song was. Uh, it was that Mike Nesmith song. No, it wasn't. That's the word. <laughs> it was every day with you, girl. Come on, D. It's sweeter than the day before. There's Ben doing his Peter Tork imitation. <laughs> That's not Peter Tork. The name of the group is Classics 4. I believe it's Classics 4. You can look it up, ladies and gentlemen, at home. But anyway. Uh, I, heard your baby, I heard your babysitter talk you to sing like that. Yeah, okay. I gave him. <laughs> I revealed something I probably never should have revealed. <laughs> Let's and move on. Let's yeah, I commend on. you for for weathering the the COVID affliction. And uh, Dennis, always happy to see you. Yes. And let me just say this about that and we'll move on. I, uh, having COVID for the last week or so, I must say that doing this show and seeing Dennis's smiling face has really helped me. Aww. And uh, yeah. uh, and, uh, and DJ Nate as well, his smiling face. I uh, did a couple shows with him. And it help, helps me get through uh, this illness. So thank you very much, Dr. D, from the bottom of my heart. Oh. Take it away. Well, guess what, Ben? How many times do you think the full city council met in May? Well, you told me this already, but I'm going to pretend do I you remember. Uh, yes, I believe you told me six times. Yeah, we'll talk about one of those meetings. Then we'll talk about the other five. Dennis, please, we'll do map first. So we're going to, I'm going to do a little civics class here after each decennial census state law requires the city of Chicago to adjust the boundaries of its 50 wards, ensuring that the wards contain about the same number of residents, which is how much Ben? Oh God, I knew this. It's approximately, uh, it's about 55 to 60,000. Not bad. Uh, this year it's going to be like 54,000. That is I think correct. When, when the city was, bigger, like almost 3 million people, I think the, the number was higher. So you'd essentially take the city population and divide it by 50. And I think the census said it was like 2.7 million. Now, don't quote me on that. Don't worry, I won't. <laughs> Nominally, this is supposed to ensure that each alderman represents about the same number of residents. Also, federal law requires that the footprints of wards don't discriminate against or cause the underrepresentation of so-called protected classes, which in Chicago is often meant blacks and Latinos. The last thing I'll say is that historically powerful Chicago aldermen have used the changing or what we call remapping of ward borders as a chance to cut out from their wards voters who voted against them in the past. But how do they know that, Ben? Like, how do they know who those people are? 
Well, first of all, if you're uh, Dick Mel, who I've written about on this subject about many times, it's like you're in the booth with the guy. Dick Mel had an <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> understanding of who was for him and who against him in any election. He let everyone know. He just was open about it. Uh, but the, the, the obvious uh, answer is just general um, precincts. So, like, you know which precincts are favorable to you. And then, you know, and then from there, you, 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 uh, you sort of separate the voters into certain types. And it's like, so Mel had in mind, like, a type of voter in uh, Logan Square in the 80s, this is when I remember uh, writing about this, uh, in the 90s, who would be against him. Uh, and uh, those were the types that he either would try to move them, those precincts, to a different ward, or he would make sure they remained in his ward. This is particularly something Richard Mel loved to do. Uh, but they would never have enough votes to defeat him, and then he could just, like, mess with them. You're stuck <laughs> with me. <laughs> so, but if you're not Dick Mel, former 33rd Ward Alderman, you can go to publicly available election data and see by ward precincts what the voting results were. In other words, who, you know, what for the candidates, say they're the aldermanic candidates, you can see what the vote totals for each one were. So if you were an incumbent that's running for the second, third or fourth time, you could see like what precincts voted for you and voted majority against for your opponent the last time, right? Yes, that is correct. And, uh, and so there, like I said, certain patterns emerge, uh, Every decade has at least two automatic elections in it. Uh, and um, so patterns emerge. And so you'll find which precincts were just not going to vote for the incumbent. You, can, you, you know what I mean? They'll yeah. vote for whoever the challenger is. Uh, so maybe the incumbent, if things are close, eh, I'm sick of these people. I'm going to move them to Dave's ward and out of my ward. Well, all that says, here's what happened this time around. Two groups of aldermen, Black Caucus and the Latino Caucus, each proposed their own ward map. The Black Caucus map proposal is also known as the Rules Committee proposal because it was crafted by a team of folks hired by the City Council's Rules Committee, chief among whom is an attorney, an attorney by the name of Michael Casper, who has deep ties to the mainstream Illinois Democratic Party and has reportedly had a hand in this kind of thing for quite a long time. So neither of those two proposals had a large enough number of aldermen supporting it for approval by the city council until a compromise was announced in early May. Basically, in that compromise, members of the Latino caucus got sufficient adjustments to their particular wards, the ones they represent, to throw their support behind the rules committee map. We'll now hear the special city council meeting on May 16 to consider the compromise ward remap ordinance. This starts with 26 ward alderman Roberto Maldonado, who was formerly chair of the Latino caucus. We'll also hear the black caucus chair, 28th ward alderman, Jason Urban. Let's listen. This is my third cycle going through redistricting. Once with the county of Cook, when I was a county commissioner, and two years after I got appointed on July 1st, 2009, uh, we had the most recent remap, and now we have this one. And I do remember that 10 years ago, us, the Latino caucus, we were rollover directly by the executive office that was serving at the time. We were not taken into account. We were not respected at all. And I cannot say that this time around. 
We did not see the direct intervention by our mayor, and we saw the active participation of our chair of the rules committee, who ultimately has the responsibility to navigate us through this process. But I do know that as I started working with the Latino caucus, and then I abandoned the Latino caucus because there was no process of respect to what we were doing, at least to some of us, I cannot say the same when I gravitated to the Rules Committee to work with the Rules Committee. I was taken into account, I was respected like every other member that chose to work with the Rules Committee. With respect to the Latino community, we have 14 strong, solid Latino wards. The alternative plan of having 15 wards would have been a diluted effort to have in name 15 majority wards. But when you take into account the voting age, as we all know, we tend to have the youngest families in the city of Chicago. And when you take into account the citizen's age, which is a reality that we cannot deny when it comes the day of our elections, I mean, we ended up with 14 strong Latino wards. If we would have gone into 15 wards, we would have run the risk of having in name 15 total population Latino wards. But in reality, potentially electing possibly 12 or less Latinos or Latinas in the next election cycle. Alderman Beal. This is not a compromise. This is a backroom deal map. Early on, I attempted to work with my colleagues, but I was told that orders were given to chop up the Ninth Ward. I know people are going to disagree and say, oh, no, that never happened. But I actually have text messages to say I could not go into the Black Caucus map room. Now, as we get locked out the process, I joined the Latino Caucus who embraced me, listened to me, and then at the 12th hour, backroom deals, lying in your windows and everything else made people scared and start scrambling to go sign a map. This is not compromise. Again, this is a backroom deal map orchestrated by no other than Michael Casper. If somebody can find a text message or a phone number that says, Alderman Bill, would you mind coming in the room so we can talk? I give you $100 for every one that you can find. But we all know you can't find it because Alderman Bill was locked out of the process. When I did go into the room, when I bombarded myself in with one of my colleagues, Alderman Garza, I asked to move a line. Mike Casper said, Alderman, you can't move nothing. I said, why is that? That's because he had orders not to move any of my lines. But let me tell y'all something. I got broad shoulders and I got thick skin. Tony Bill is gonna rise again. Alderman Irvin. To my colleague, I take great offense to say that one was locked out of a process. No, sir, you were not locked out. Sir, you sold out. When the black community's political and social survival was on the stake, you walked away from us to go somewhere else. Why? We do not know. No orders were given to chop up the knife ward. No orders were given by anybody but to preserve the black Chicago. Those were the orders that were given by us all. 
because our people depend on us to deliver for them, not to sell anybody out. And I want my hundred dollars because I got it on text. There were more comments by Alderman Maldonado and Alderman Beale than what we just heard. And listeners can hear those in the extended version of this interview found at the Inside Chicago Government website, shygov.com. Yeah, well, uh, we've talked a lot about uh, the ward map uh, on the show. We've had uh, various people come on. Uh, I reached out to Gilbert Viegas. Do we have any clips about uh, Gilbert Viegas at all? Or I just want to say I reached out to Gilbert Viegas, who was the leader of the Latino uh, caucus ma- uh, map uh, efforts, and then it all fell apart. Uh, and he decided for whatever reason he'd just as soon not come on the show. Uh, hey, it's not the Army, uh, Dave Goss. I can't make him come on the show. Uh, I can't issue a subpoena, okay? You know, it's I'm not the federal government. Uh, but I just w- listen to this stuff and I just have, try to laugh out loud. Uh, <laughs> this is just uh, this is like this is a political spectacle, ladies and gentlemen. And this is a pageantry and it's fun to watch in a certain level. But when I realize how the government is run, uh, I could tell you right now uh, that this is not about, quote unquote, black political empowerment or Hispanic political empowerment. Uh, this is about preserving incumbency. And ultimately, every single alderman, every single individual alderman had to make a decision as to what was in his or her best interest. And that's it. And uh, I got to tell you, uh, Dave, it, the biggest joke, I think, is how is when I listen to Beal, anytime I, you play an Anthony Beal line. <laughs> oh, here comes the COVID. Uh I'm going to resist the effort to break into a cup. But you play Anthony Beal all the time, as well you should, because Anthony Beal and Raymond Lopez, as I've pointed out many times, have emerged as more or less the voices of reform. And I... <laughs> Wait, before I go any further, let me just say something about Anthony uh, Beal. i got to give him a shout-out, because I'm about to say something uh, critical, but i got to give him a shout-out. You may not know this, Dave Kowatz, because uh, – you're, you're not really into the sports world, but when he's not the alderman from the Ninth Ward uh, and uh, representing reform in the Chicago City Council, he is the baseball coach for the Brooks uh, High School baseball team. And his squad from Brooks made it all the way to the city championship against Lane Tech. Uh, and the game was played at uh, Wrigley Field. Uh, I wish I could have gone to it. But I think I was at COVID at the time, so it was probably a good idea that I didn't. I did Lane, not know this. Lane Tech was victorious, but uh, Alderman Beal, your squad, put up a great fight. And a shout-out to Brooks. Great Gwendolyn Brooks. Is their name for the great uh, poet, Gwendolyn Brooks. Uh, used to be Mendel Catholic back in the day when you were a young lad uh, going to Weber. Uh, and uh, so... Much congratulations. Uh, and it's funny because when you read the sports, like the sports writers, they, they live in a world that's so different than the world that you and I live in. So they're like, Coach Tony Beal. <laughs> oh, they, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, he's an alderman? Oh, wait a minute, did not know that. So anyway, congratulations, uh, Anthony Beal. All right, having said all that, the, I say two, this is 2011 was a far greater travesty in every regards uh, than what went down uh in uh, this map making process and the travesty of 2011, uh, the legacy of the 2011 uh, ward map was the cowardice of the city council uh, cowering in fear of what mayor Rahm Emanuel would do to them. 
if uh, they didn't approve his budget vote. Uh, and so uh, essentially the deal back in 2011, uh, 2000, when that map uh, was redistricted, was to vote for the budget. Uh, and then uh, the mayor would make sure you had a map that you could live with. And that was the budget that closed six mental health clinics, which I would argue um, is probably it's on the top uh, three of outrageous decisions that the city of Chicago has made in the last uh, decade or so, uh, right up there with closing the schools, part and parcel of the same thing. Uh, and, um, and then, if I if may interrupt, wondering about the key influences here, I, I, you know, I generally don't want to talk as much about the politics as I do about the the government operations aspect of these things, but it feels to me like this is an issue in which they're inextricably intertwined. Because I mean, they're always inextricably intertwined, but go ahead. But sometimes they're more obvious than others. Like in this case, there are the, the aldermen ostensibly have agency or given the ability to go to a forum, which uh, is called this back room that Beale calls it, which is called the map room in City Hall, and say, I would like to move the lines of my ward, the boundaries of my ward, over here. And, you know, as we talked about at the beginning, the baseline criterion is to make sure that, you know, based on some number crunching, that the ward, which might have grown in population or shrunk in population because of migration and immigration from and to the ward might need to be, you know, shrunk or increased or just, you know, changed so that it picks up residents or loses residents. But then the aldermen, as we said, they might have other criteria, which were, you know, the, the, the story that we're getting is that the people who are sort of the, what, the administrators, the facilitators of this process have the ability to say, well, you know, uh, that's not going to work, but that might work. Or as Beal claims, say, no, we're not going to let you do that. Yeah. And so going back to what you talked about in terms of in the prior administration, the Rahm Emanuel administration, you're talking about Emanuel having the power and wielding that power to uh, horse trade in that way, in a way that reportedly mayor lightfoot was not as involved in doing no but but there are other would you call them uh mainstream democratic party surrogates like you know i'm I'm just you know i'm not saying he is but like michael casper who uh in the absence of the mayors uh being front and center on this there are other people who represent powerful interests in Chicago, Cook County, state of Illinois, that want to marginalize people like Beale. I think, uh, I, I, I'm not sure anybody wants to marginalize Anthony Beale. And uh, I feel that uh, Anthony Beale, this is what I was getting at. Uh, Anthony Beale has like created this sense of martyrdom. Like as this reformer in the Chicago City Council, again, reformers in quotes. It's kind of like uh, a brand. Yeah, he's he's being picked on, but he will prevail. And uh, like he said that, uh, yeah, that's just like he said. And uh, you know, every now and then, if you notice when he stands to speak, he plays Gloria Gaynor. I shall survive. He actually never does that, but 
just felt like saying that. <laughs> and, and the point I was making was that I have to smile. This is another example of the inflated rhetoric that comes uh, out of Anthony Beal when he denounces the heavy-handed tactics of the mayor. I'm like, where were you when I really needed you back in 2010? At 2011, excuse me. And the point there, uh, Dave, was before the MAP process really kicked in, Mayor Rahm let it be known either one way or the other. I didn't know how he operated through his intermediaries or himself directly that uh, if you didn't vote for that budget, Lord knows what was going to happen in the map making room. And the budget was passed 50 to nothing. That's the budget where they closed the uh, mental health clinics. And nobody, 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 nobody in the Chicago City Council uh, raised a voice uh, on behalf of the people who used those clinics. And these were in high crime areas, uh, poor high crime areas. Uh, it was a cruel policy, uh, for, which for reasons I cannot understand, uh, Mayor Lloyd Lightfoot has continued. And um, it was a disgraceful one. So uh, this, my point is, is that to suddenly pretend in 2022 that there's politics and and bullying going on uh, in this process, shocked. I'm shocked. And that's why I'm saying it's just it doesn't ring true to an old timer. You go, I may cheer him on, go, go, Anthony Beal, say it, yeah. But it doesn't ring true. And when you act as though this was worse than any other cycle, you're, re, uh, you're rewriting history. And I would argue, I've lived through a bunch of these. I, we were talking about this at the hideout. I've lived through many of these. I think night, the first one I ever lived through was 1981 was outrageous <laughs> attempt uh, to just dilute the voting power of black residents in the city of Chicago. And um, ultimately, a judge... Uh, ruled the map unconstitutional and ordered special elections under new boundaries. And that's what led to Harold Washington taking control of the city council. So this is an old game in the city of Chicago. And to hear aldermen who are upset pretending as though it's happening for the first time uh, is um, a little hard for this, this old war horse. To, yes. I <laughs> this COVID stricken war horse. <laughs> Gasping for, the, for breath. For the record, this passed the city council 43 to seven. And, you know, thinking about all this talk about ambition and that being a motivation and uh, for aldermen to change the lines of their wards and um, the, the, the motivation of protecting their incumbency, Listeners can find an interview that Inside Chicago Government did with 33rd Ward Alderman Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez about how her adjusted ward boundaries came about, and she denies those sort of ambitious motivations. Shall we move on? Yes, sir. Dennis, please, we'll do recess next. All right, so that was the May 16 meeting, which was a specially scheduled meeting. The regularly scheduled meeting of the full city council took place on May 23. It went in two sessions. The first lasted only an hour and a half, at which point the council's presiding officer, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, paused committee reports and called a recess. The main reason for which being that the Lightfoot administration wanted the mayor's special committee on the Chicago casino to meet that afternoon and approve the administration's hand-picked Bally's Casino proposal so that the city council could then meet again and give final approval. So we're going to hear a little bit from that uh, meeting. It starts with Mayor Lightfoot, 
We'll also hear the casino committee chair, 44th Walderman, uh, Tom Tunney. Let's listen. The city council will now recess until 3 p.m. today and reconvene at that time back here in the city council chamber. The body will now stand in recess. Three o'clock today. Chair recognizes Alderman Tunney. So the casino meeting will start at one and council will hopefully reconvene at three. Correct. Is that sufficient time, sir? Or would you prefer I believe four? so. Uh, well, I hope we can get our business done. Those of you that are not going to be physically present for the casino committee meeting, there are updated materials on the way out. So those that will be physically here, they'll be at your desk. Those that are doing remote, whether it's here, upstairs or whatever, there's packets out there with Nicole from my, my office that gives you updated. All the questions, the changes, all that is in, in the packet. Otherwise, if you're physically here, there'll be copies available for you that you can have now, as far as I'm concerned, on the way out. The body will be in recess until 3 p.m. Thank you. That just shows you uh, how quickly things are moving along here in this meeting. And we'll talk after the next piece about the casino deal, if you don't mind, because um, I have another clip about that. But first, I want to do a little foreshadowing because there's a lot of things going on here. Ooh. Right after this meeting recessed, 30 aldermen filed a notice with the city clerk for a special in-person, in-person meeting on May 25, two days later, at 3 p.m. to receive reports from city officials as follows. From Police Superintendent David Brown on efforts to quell summer violence. From Park District Superintendent Rosa Escarino about summer youth programs. And from Chicago Public Schools head Pedro Martinez about efforts to, quote, create safe neighborhood epicenters, unquote. The alderman's notice said the special meeting is for those purposes and quote, no other purpose whatsoever, unquote. Dennis, please, will do chip next. So that's something that happened in the background that was not obvious right away to observers, but it was going on. So then the special committee on the Chicago, Chicago Casino convened at about 1.23 p.m., and it adjourned just before 4 p.m. During that time, Alderman questioned city officials and generally speechified about the Bally's Casino deal, And to recap for listeners, that deal involves a temporary casino to open in 2023 at Medina Temple, 600 North Wabash, and a permanent casino to open in several years on the north branch of the Chicago River, just south of Chicago Avenue, where the Tribune currently prints its newspapers, and the Sun-Times as well, I think. We'll listen now to comments by 43rd Ward Alderman Michelle Smith and 2nd Ward Alderman Brian Hopkins. Their comments came after 49th Ward Alderman Maria Haddon questioned Samir Mayakar, who is Deputy Mayor for Economic and Neighborhood Development. Haddon had asked Mayakar about the city's plans for the temporary site after the casino leaves, and she asked him how the permanent site fits into the city's planning vision for the riverfront. Mayakar had said that the city will adhere to a scheme that resulted from a long-ago public planning process called the North Branch Framework Plan, and that the city's been studying open space with Alderman Smith. And this starts with Alderman Smith. Let's listen. I just want to correct the record here. Some of us worked on the North Branch Framework for six years. There was never a mention of a casino on the river. There was never a mention of outdoor entertainment venues with amplified sound of the river. In fact, the one thing that was rejected by Alderman Hopkins of the 
Lincoln Yards development was an open air stadium that was designed to be used for soccer and for concerts. That was overwhelmingly rejected by the community. So Alderman Adden, there has been a plan, but it has not included the uses that we are discussing today ever. And I just have to correct the record. If the city wants to take a U-turn, they're, they're allowed to come out and say it. The other thing that I want to comment on is to say, on the one hand, that the reason that you awarded the, the Bally site is because no one was taking, as you said, Deputy Mayor, that no one was taking this site, that this site was sort of the development plans, the approved PD were not going anywhere. And then to turn to Alderman Heron and say, oh, but there's a robust development pipeline in this corridor is kind of contradictory. I really don't want to get an argument about that, but I just can't let that stand. In fact, the 20 year plan for this area was to turn the Chicago River into an in the city nature sanctuary. And aside from the Riverwalk, and so I just, I really appreciate Alderman Haddon. She's a really thoughtful planner. But the truth is, this is not anything to do what was proposed in those plans. Final comment on that. Thank you. And I, I don't need a response. Okay. okay. I'm, that's, I'm just done commenting. All right. Thank Alderman you. Hopkins. Since we're comparing this to Lincoln Yards and the North Branch plan, the North Branch plan really tries to revitalize and reactivate the river. And one of the important components in that that we all agreed on was the necessity of access to the river and a sloped riverbank, which is more friendly than what passes for a riverbank now in the channelized Chicago River, which is mostly sheet pilings and a harsh vertical edge. Lincoln Yards is being held to that standard. Lincoln Yards is being told by our planning department that they had to abandon their plans to have a sheet metal piling bank and to activate the riverfront with the sloped natural riverbank that would allow for access to the river. I simply want to point out that the exact opposite is being granted to the Bally's team to develop this casino. We are going against our own guidelines. We are going against the insistence that the planning department has brought forth with Lincoln Yards, causing them to actually change their plans to have additional sloped riverbanks incorporated into the current design and, and the current building under construction. We've done a 180. Once again, two different standards for two different buildings. And, and obviously, cost is the main factor here. It's much cheaper to channelize the river with unattractive sheet piling riverbanks and the Bally's team is being allowed to do that when other developers are not. And I don't, again, as Alderman Smith said, I don't need a response. I just wanted to point that inconsistency out for the record. Listeners can hear Alderman Hand's exchange with Deputy Mayor Mayakar in the extended version of this interview found at the Inside Chicago Government website, shygov.com. And Ben, I'll just note that when I listen to Mr. Mayakar, who we didn't hear here, but I listen to him shepherding the casino project. I think of former Mayor Rahm Emanuel's planning department, David Reifman, in the same sort of role with Lincoln Yards that we just heard Alderman Hopkins talk about. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I, w- I, I wish Alderman, if they make a good point, or even if they don't make a good point, but in this particular case, uh, Michelle Smith and Brian Hopkins will get to that uh, in a little bit, make good points. I wish they wouldn't say, no, you don't have to answer. No, I want to hear the answer. You know, I mean, you're, you're getting at something. <laughs> yeah, I was curious about that, too. You know, why, if, if you're going to bring it up and, you know, you're trying to mount an opposition, what the heck? 
I, 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 don't, I can't read the mind of an alderman. I just, I just makes no sense. He, get, I, I just wish they get something on the record uh, from them because the points they're making are good ones. Now, let me just deal with uh, Hopkins for one second. I'm, while he was talking, I was overwhelming. I was overwhelmed uh, with tears and crying <laughs> on behalf of poor little Lincoln Yard. I saw you. Yeah. Oh, widow baby, you only got one point three billion widow Lincoln Yards. Brian Hopkins, come on. Lincoln Yards. Well, you might say that's why they can afford to do a nice river. Yeah, that's part of the reason they gave me the money. That and that cockamamie infrastructure. I had actually had Alderman tell me, Ben, you don't understand. We got to rebuild the infrastructure around. Alderman loved talking about infrastructure because then there's like, they sound so scholarly. It's got four four syllables. It's infrastructure. Uh, Do you understand about infrastructure? And then the residents of Chicago are the same way. You know, well, inf- Ben, infrastructure. It's like guys, a mantra. It's, I know it's a mantra, guys. And it's like, you know, the streets are falling apart everywhere in Chicago. All right. When you put $1.3 billion in Lincoln Yards, Brian Hopkins Ward with the little lovely, you know, uh, banks of the Chicago River, you're not putting it in Englewood. Well, they ain't having infrastructure needs. It's like, no, no, Ben, you don't understand. Infrastructure. <laughs> okay, now I understand. Now the light's on. Infrastructure. Is that all you're going to say? Infrastructure. So, yeah, uh, we uh, underwrote the cost of the Lincoln Yards project to the tune of $1.3 billion, and we did that at the insistence of uh, Brian Hopkins, who was the front man on that deal with uh, Reefman sort of in the back rooms is, uh, you know, just – calling people on the phone and twisting arms and Mayor Rahm racing around, <laughs> shoving that down our throat as he headed out the door. Uh, and uh, and now Hopkins is against the casino. His residents don't want the casino. So he wants to be on the side of his residents. And and I'll point out, uh, Dave, that the my one of my biggest objections to the way in which uh, these deals go down is that the only issues that the city seems interested in dealing with are the one, the NIMBY issues. So they'll meet with like Brian Hopkins constituents or Brendan Riley's constituents to talk about, well, is that time we're going to block his tomato plant? And wh- what about the light coming to Belly- Betty Bob's kitchen? Will the tower be blocking that? We need to know. And what about the congestion? We need better ingress and egress. I love saying that ingress, egress. And, uh, Don't and forget so- about the loud music. Yeah. Oh, then there's loud music. I remember this from the Paul Stadium deal. It was Pat Dow running the show then, Pat, uh, Alderman Pat Dow. Like, you know, how about the cars? Where would the cars go? You know, that kind of thing. And so what I'm saying was, well, there's also citywide issues, you know, like, hello, this is tax dollars that we're spending here. This is infrastructure, to use your favorite word, Chicago, that won't be improved anywhere else in Chicago except for this one. Well, so far, Ben, no tax dollars are stated to being spent here. They're not acknowledged being spent. In fact, we're getting revenue. It's a net gain on paper. Just I'm yeah. just reporting the news. <laughs> yeah, I know. So the fact, just uh, Chicagoans, there's so much sarcasm embedded in what Mr. Glowatch just said. You should have seen the devilish grin on his face. The fact that the city of Chicago is not acknowledged there's going to be a public expenditure does not Chicagoans mean that there won't be a public expenditure. I just want to let you know. In fact, if you listen to the, the city of Chicago's analysis of Lincoln Yards, that is, in fact, not a public expenditure. 
that what they do when they twist it is, well, Ben, that was for infrastructure. That was for a public purpose. We had to fix the roads. We had to fix the bridges as opposed to saying this is the development we're putting. This is the money we're spending uh, to uh, prepare this area for Lincoln Yards. So that's they'll probably play a similar game uh, with the casino. Somehow or other, when all is said and done, this will be, oh, no, just a public expense that we need for the corner of Chicago. Uh, and uh, in Halstead. So well, we'll, we'll I, be keeping an eye on that. Yes, we will be. But I, uh, I appreciate uh, Michelle Smith uh, pointing out the obvious that uh, <laughs> and anybody who has been involved with planning in the city knows they string you along for years and years. You have meetings. You come up with wish lists of what you would like to see a neighborhood. There are uh, public charrettes where people sit at tables and draw pictures and yes. facilitated <laughs> conversations. I was at some of those for yes. North Branch Framework Plan. Yes. I remember those back. I remember attending one in Hyde Park when uh, the older woman was Tony Preckwinkle. Whoa, are we going back in time? This is back in the O's. I call it the O's. I've just learned it's called the aughts, Dave. It's the aughts, not You ought to get with the plan. uh, (laughs) And so I remember the charrette. I remember Will Burns was studying to be the new alderman. And so he was, he came and observed and they had this planner up there. Guys, let's get together and, and, and let's brainstorm. And they had this big uh, sheet, white sheet. Yeah, they, they, I think this was before the uh, whiteboard itself. So it's just big white sheets. And he had a magic marker. What ideas would you like to see? I'm like, oh, my God. And everybody's raising their hand. I think a community room would be wonderful in the bank. And then I'm sure none of that got stuff got built. But they I'm got sure reports Parker. out of it. There was a report that uh, identified all that stuff. I'm, yeah, so, I'm, I'm certain. Report. So something is created. Let me, I should correct it. A report is correct. So going back to this uh, casino committee, for those keeping score, the casino ordinance passed 27 to 3. As you might expect, Smith and Hopkins were against it, as did downtown alderman Brendan Riley for the 42nd Ward. So a few minutes after the casino committee adjourned, the May 23 meeting of the full city council reconvened. Casino Committee Chair Alderman Tom Tunney reported passage of the casino ordinance by the committee. But next, he moved with 28th Ward Alderman Jason Irvin to defer consideration of the ordinance till the next city council meeting, which was then scheduled for two days later, Bay 25 at 10 a.m. So, Ben, why do you think they did this? Instead of well, just I, going for a vote. I, I, I don't I know their stated reason, but I don't know uh, their uh, real reason. Remember their stated reason where they wanted to do it before somebody else did it? Well, anyone, any two aldermen can call for deferral. Mm -hmm. So if their goal was to defer it to the next next possible meeting, which is the earliest could be is 48 hours because of a requirement of of two days notice, um, then it would have achieved the same thing. It's also possible that they didn't have all the votes, the administration wasn't certain they had all the votes lined up for council approval of the casino. And they wanted a couple more days to line those up. So we don't know, but that's the possibility, too. And when you hear about the vote total on the casino, then you'll uh, perhaps you'll agree with that. So I don't have any audio on that, but um, that's that's the way it went down. That meeting lasted all of three and a half minutes which might be 
some kind of record. <laughs> technically, it was part of the morning meeting. It was reconvened. Yeah. So, anyway. so Dennis, please, will do curfew next. Ooh. So then on May 25, the city council convened at 10 a.m. And aldermen spend over an hour honoring 24th Ward Alderman Michael Scott, who had just announced that he's retiring. Then they had two regular committee reports. And then finally, the council took up unfinished business, which consisted of two items. The first was a casino deal, which passed 42 to 6. The ordinance passed 42 to 6. For those interested in the weeds, there was a separate measure, which was an authorization for the administration to negotiate with the uh, Bally's team, which passed 41 to 7. Mm-hmm. Not sure what happened there. And that whole thing featured some impassioned remarks by aldermen that we're not going to hear today. The second item was the mayor's proposed ordinance to change the curfew time for minors. And that detail is from 11 p.m. to 10 p.m. on weekends and changing from 10 p.m. to 9 p.m. on weekdays. We're going to hear part of the discussion around that proposed ordinance, and it starts with 40th Ward Alderman Andre Vasquez. Let's listen. The chair recognizes Alderman Vasquez, please, briefly. I can't be quick. This isn't the casino process. I apologize. Yeah, I'm baffled because I know we've been here in suits and ties for so long. A lot of people here forgot they were youth. We talk about saving our future. We don't even listen to our future. Every single person I spoke to today, today, I talked to all the council members that I could of color. And I go, walk me through your interactions with police. I couldn't get one positive interaction. Everyone had a story about how they got pulled over and how they all had problems and how I almost got away for it. Yeah, the ones that I spoke to, yes. Yes, absolutely. That's what I said. Right, I'm sure they would have let you go rock on by, Nick. So I, I'll tell you my story. But all the time to me when I was. I'll tell you my story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I appreciate. Please. I appreciate members need to leave. They can. They're the yes votes. They can walk on home. Now I want to talk about my experience because we've heard about evidence. My curfew when I was young was three o'clock. I couldn't go outside. Once I turned 15, I shot out like a cannon because curfews don't work. What they do is they force people to go even further. All this does is it criminalizes children of color and further segregates our city because no one's going to downtown when you've got public transportation deserts and then you have to race back home. So you tell me what happens when you've got a child who works downtown, who the store closes at nine, they gotta clean until 9.45, now you got 15 minutes to get back home hoping you don't get pulled over. So when I was in Navy Pier and Grant Park as a youth, every weekend, police would kick us out every single weekend. You know what they didn't kick out? White people. Damn right. Nick, you got that one right. Every single time, every single weekend. This is not even proactive. It's not putting our very best, it's putting up BS. It is not us moving forward. We're moving backwards so fast we should be moonwalking. In the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, 2020s, every single time, it's this tough on crime talk by people who won't solve the problem but want to say things to people who are justifiably scared because it is dangerous out there for some. But this doesn't solve it at all. This is actually just indicative of a failure of planning. We have police officers out there who work 12 hours, who have to work days off, And now we're saying, you know what, on top of that, we want you watching everybody at 10 o'clock. We want you to respond when a parent or anybody else sees three kids at a park because we need them there, which then sends officers over to a park rather than being where they need to be. 
All this is is reactive and a headline. Yes, I will continue. Thank you, Mayor. So if it was about proactive, we could have had a committee meeting in the first quarter to talk about what we're doing in the summer. We wouldn't have to be reactive because Alderman Lopez decided to put forth a special meeting. This is theater, and you all know better. This year in this term, we had 12 officers walk into somebody's house and they were naked. None of those officers got fired. So I know that people say it's better, it's not gonna kill a kid, it will. Because what happens when an officer goes to a person of color and says, hey kid, bring me your ID. It's gonna be a positive interaction or are they gonna react with the tension we all feel because we are under trauma. So watch when we lose kids on the other side. We got $200 million of pension money coming in because casinos, we're gonna lose 400 million on police misconduct settlements. You all know better. Thank you, Madam Chair, now I'm finished. Chair recognizes Alderman Spazzato. Calm down, really? Really? Okay. There were some tough acts to follow, but that's certainly not a tough one to follow, I'll tell you that. So we hear this all the time. If this saves one life, it was worth it. Unfortunately, parents have to learn to be parents. We have a problem with violence, period, in this world. It's not just gun violence, violence all over. If one kid is spared, one life, we will never know, I'm willing to take that chance by pushing curfew up one stinking hour. That's it. I support this. I don't know if it's a great idea, bad idea, but it's an idea that I feel confident that'll save some good kids. I don't know if it'll save bad kids. Bad kids will be out there because bad parents allowed to be out there. I have kids also, everybody. My kids are 37 and 39. You know what I tell them? Kind of what you said, Jason. Nothing good happens after midnight, okay? So nothing good happens after 10 for some kids. Nothing good happens after midnight for a 37 or a 39 year old. Wow. Just for clarification, Ben, Alderman Vasquez said, I appreciate members need to leave because he was speaking five hours into the meeting and 50 minutes into the alderman's comments on the curfew measure. So people were getting impatient. They wanted, they wanted people to shut up, but he wasn't going to shut up. Yeah. Uh, that is great stuff. And, uh, what a, what a uh, showdown, uh, Nick Spazzato and, uh, Andre Vasquez, uh, Andre Vasquez, of course, just to remind everybody, the Alderman of the 40th Ward, uh, years and years ago in another existence, uh, he was a rapper and, um, and now he's uh, becoming like a mini star up on the North side. They love him on the North side. Uh, Andre Vasquez defeated Pat, uh, Patrick O'Connor in a runoff in uh, 2019. Big upset. Uh, Patrick O'Connor was the floor leader uh, for Mayor Rahm and Mayor Daly, so he beat a very powerful uh, incumbent. Is he still the committeeman, O'Connor? Uh, no, uh, he, did not, he did not. Somebody nope. else is a committeeman. Vasquez lost, uh, and I uh, cannot recall the name. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, but I remember he, he is not the committeeman. Uh, anyway, so, uh, and of course, Nick Spazzato is the, um, well, he, he voted for Donald Trump. Let's just make everybody know he admitted he came on the show and he admitted he voted for Donnie Trump. Uh, and the sarcasm with which Nick Spazzato uh, greets uh, Andre Vasquez's assertion that uh, black people and Hispanic people are treated differently by police in Chicago than white people. Uh, really underscores like this central divide in Chicago that I've noticed ever since I've lived here. Uh, and it becomes more and more obvious to me the older I get. And that is that the reality of people who are black or Hispanic uh, in the city of Chicago is far different than the reality of people who are white. And white people, and this is something I've noticed, Dave, um, 
just all across the board have a real hard time acknowledging this. And, and I'm talking about a lot, all kinds of white people. I'm not going to start naming names. I don't want to do that. But there's just like a skepticism that so many white people have when they hear a story uh, from a black person about getting harassed by cops. For, they're skeptical whether it happened. They're skeptical if it happened the way the person says it happened. They think details are being left out because it never happened to them. It's hard to relate. Yeah, they can't relate at all. So they say, no, 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 I don't believe that. And no matter what we see, you see like the George Floyd murder, you know, and everything that went down before the George Floyd murder, which um, I don't know if you've ever seen the footage of the interactions between the police officers and George Floyd before uh, Chauvin actually killed Floyd. I did. They're very disturbing. And it's just the abusive way in which the police officers are addressing George Floyd, who had done nothing. And the way they, they did dehumanizing way in that they talked to him. I'm like, why are you talking to him this way? He hasn't done anything. And if you just let him go home, nothing will happen. And it's just. But like in the mind, so what. When Andre Vasquez gets up there and passionately talks about his experiences and he's telling the truth, ladies and gentlemen, when he tells, talks about his experiences, you could see Nick's eyes rolling. You know what I'm saying? Like, give me up right here. We go again, you know, and um, this is a, an enormous divide that exists uh, in our city. It exists beyond our city as well. It's really at the heart of the divide uh, between uh, MAGA and the rest of the country. But Dave, I, I don't know how we can progress as a city without confronting it. So I give Andre Vasquez credit for raising these points and um, you know how uh, the the other point, which I think is uh, really we should address is I don't know why would we would choose to saddle police officers with one more thing to do. You know, uh, Dave Glowatz, in this day and age, to checking kids' IDs. Uh, and then that whole stipulation about um, Millennia Parker, is it a responsible adult that they're with? Whatever even that means, you know? Danny Solis. <laughs> Sorry, that is actually pretty funny. <laughs> Danny Solis. Sorry, good to resist. <laughs> that is really funny. <laughs> Is does hey you go Mayor Lightfoot please and your your corporation council does Danny Solis does he uh, represent a responsible adult and for that matter what about Ed Burke would he be under the category of responsible for that matter Carrie Austin who is one of your closest allies in the Chicago with that. Dave, I'll tell you what, Dave Glowatz has a very subversive sense of humor, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'll just say one more thing about this and we can move on. No. The, as you point out, the city council members like Vasquez and Sposato very definite, definitively represent the different perspectives, the uh, wildly different perspectives that you named that Chicagoans have about how others are treated in this town. And if there's any silver lining, I think it's important that these people who represent very different perspectives are in the same room. At least they're exposed to listening to it, even though they might be sitting rolling their eyes, as opposed to, you know, never having that contact. And, and it leads me to another thought that 
these days, post pandemic, or, you know, during pandemic, I've talked about this before, the only in-person meetings the city council has are the full council meetings. They're still not doing any of the dozens and dozens of committee meetings that are held every month. They're still holding those via video conference. So my point is that aldermen have many, many fewer personal interactions with with each other than they had before. And I, for one, really think that uh, it would be uh, it's important to try to get back to those in-person meetings. If that's just one reason why. Yeah. Well, I can tell you right now, having uh, learned it the hard way, this COVID is no joke, ladies and gentlemen. It's not. It's not like it's going away. Uh, it's a whole other conversation for another time. But uh, it's still with us. Yeah, you're is, you're a walking example of that. I am a walking, sweating <laughs> example of that. Go ahead, Dennis. Please, we'll do short next. Right, so we're moving along chronologically here. And to recap, you remember I talked a little while ago that 30 aldermen called for a May 25 meeting, which is the same day of the meeting we just heard from, to question heads of the police, the park district, and schools about quelling youth violence and summer activities to help quell violence. The meeting convened at about 3 o'clock on May 25, and the initial attendance, which is done electronically now, showed 30 aldermen present. And then during the meeting, three others showed up, and there were about 20 minutes of public comment. This piece starts after that with Mayor Pro Tem Brendan Riley, who presided because Mayor Lightfoot wasn't there. And we'll hear what happened next. Let's listen. We do have a quorum. Chair recognizes Alderman Lopez. I move for the temporary suspension of the rules for the purposes of convening as the committee of the whole. Has requested a roll call vote to suspend the rules. Clerk will open the roll. The chair recognizes Alderman Smith. Alderman Lopez has moved to suspend the rules, and Alderman Dowell has requested a roll call vote. And to be clear, for the temporary suspension of the rules, under Rule 48, these rules may be temporarily suspended by a vote of two-thirds of all the aldermen entitled by law to be elected and shall not be repealed, altered, or amended unless by concurrence of a majority of all the aldermen entitled by law to be elected. So a yes vote is in favor of suspending the rules and proceeding as a committee of the whole, and a no vote is to not do that. 34 votes to suspend the rules. But that's the motion. And there's a roll call requested, so here we are. Clerk, please call the roll. Okay, voting is now open. Okay, uh, seeing that we have 24 yeas and zero nays, the motion fails. There being no further business before the body, can I get a motion to adjourn? (laughs) Alderman Hairston moves to adjourn. I I hate to say it, folks, but we don't even have a quorum at this point. Uh, So, is that request for a roll call serious? Okay. Uh, Hearing no objections, so ordered. uh, City Council is adjourned. This really gets at the parliamentary weeds, what happened here. So, the initial request by aldermen, I've seen it. A piece of paper with uh, 30 aldermen's names on it, calling for this special meeting, um, says they had 30 aldermen on board, and that's enough to call a special meeting. And 
to question the police head and the superintendent of parks and the head of the schools because they weren't um, results of committee work. That means they had to suspend the rules in order to do that questioning and convene what's called a committee of the whole. In other words, the entire council. And Alderman Lopez made a motion to do that. Now, if nobody had said anything, the presiding officer, Riley, could have looked around the room and said, hearing no objections, so ordered, and they could have proceeded with the questioning. But Alderman Dowell requested a roll call vote for the motion. And according to the city council rules, surprise, surprise, they need a two-thirds vote. In other words, 34 people to suspend the rules and convene the committee of the whole. They had originally 30, as I said, walking into the meeting. Three others showed up. And at that point, uh, someone had, you know, because mind you, there was all this other stuff. There was like 20 minutes of public comment. My guess is that aldermen read the room, the ones who didn't want to like stick their necks out on this. And they just kind of left because in the end, there were only 24 people voting to suspend the rules, far short of the 34 and one short of a city council quorum. So the whole thing just sort of fell apart. That was really well done, Dave. And um, I, uh, I have to tell you, you've really mastered the rules of the Chicago City Councils. You could be the parliamentarian that the council always says. I'm waiting for that ordinance to get passed so they open the job, you know. Yeah, because you do a great job. And uh, I did not know any of that. I was dutifully taking notes on what you were saying. And so the next time it ever comes up, I will look like a total expert. It's 50-50 whether I'll give you any credit for uh, uh, teaching me the, the intricacies of that. But, well, you know, well, we're all learning. And I'm guessing the proponents of this special uh, council meeting also learned that next time get 34 people behind it rather than just 30. So, in other words, 34, you need uh, you need the two thirds of the full 50, even if only 40 show up. In other words, yeah. two of the full body, yeah. uh, which was a detail, a technicality I was unaware of. Uh, and um, we just know that the administration, I, we don't know, we can guess the administration was counting on this. Yeah. And they were, they were poised like, Dowell could have just kept her mouth shut, right? She could have. And not called for a vote, but she did. Yeah. And she is, uh, for the record, the budget committee chair picked by the mayor. Yeah, no, she. I'm sure she did that with the uh, express intent, or the the the, the intent, uh, not expressed, uh, to make sure the meeting uh, went nowhere. Well, by the way, by the way, she supported the motion to suspend the rules. She voted aye. Yeah. Okay. Well, well that's like getting it both ways. Yeah, it gets about. I mean, it, Madigan was the maestro of that. But by the way, the, cat, the aforementioned Michael Casper, the uh, lawyer from a couple uh, segments ago, I think it was when we were discussing uh, the, the, uh, the ward map, was Michael Joseph Madigan's uh, attorney for years as uh, when Madigan was chair of the Democratic Party. Uh, so, uh, you know, Madigan. So not only did Casper learn a thing or two uh, from Madigan, but apparently Pat Dow, the older woman of the third ward. Uh, I can have my cake and I can eat it, too, to quote Bob Dylan. So. Yeah, what a joke. I would say uh, that the most compelling issue the city faces, obviously, as we head into the summer, is what we can do as a city uh, to minimize the violence and to uh, maximize the number of things uh, you know, teenagers could be doing to keep them productive or divert their attentions from 
violent exchanges. And guess what? They didn't have enough people in the city council to discuss that and hear from the leaders of the park district, the board of education, uh, and the police. Police. Yeah. So, uh, welcome to your city of Chicago, but folks look on the bright side. You're going to have a casino to lose your money at. Okay. So we're not going to do anything for violence and we probably won't raise any money. Uh, uh, not nearly enough money uh, to pay pensions, but want a bed? <laughs> I'll tell you what, that Dave Glowatz, ladies and gentlemen, and he's going to do a little stint. I think it's Zanies uh, next week. Well, that's all I've got, Ben. If listeners want to hear more, they can go to the Inside Chicago Government <laughs> website, shygab.com. As I said, there's more from these meetings that appear on the extended version of this episode there. You can also follow Inside Chicago Government at facebook.com slash insidegov and on Twitter at C-H-I-G-O-V-T. Big thanks to you for uh, hanging in for the, the whole time. I hope you're Hope you're on the mend, and thanks again to Dennis for all the magic. Oh yes, no, I that was uh, uh, toward the. I don't know if you know, noticed how many times I was pushing that cough button, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, COVID one more time is no joke. So uh, I'm going to uh, get uh, end this show for today and immediately take a nap. First, thank you, uh, Dave Glowitz. Of course, thank the man, the myth, the legend, pride of your Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Byron Sixel Lopez uh, and Andre Vasquez will tell you back home on Alton, they call him Doctor D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Thank you.